because of Valentine's Day, it's really the reason why we started this sermon series called God's Design for Love. And we've been looking at God's love. This is uh, week three of this sermon series. And it's not a sermon series that's been full of candy boxes and little, uh, little angel flying guys with bows and arrows. No, this is how God loves us. And looking at that example of how we are to love others. I think it would be safe to say that if we are to become more like Christ, that some things in our life have to change. The way we love is a main characteristic of how other people are going to know that you follow Christ. The way you love is a main characteristic of how other people are going to know that you follow Christ. It's not simply loving your spouse. It's not simply loving your, your, your family. It's loving your boss and your coworkers and your community. It's loving people that you don't even know. We're looking at the first letter that Paul has written to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 13. And the apostle lists these characteristics of God's love. And last week we looked at the characteristics to find out what love isn't. Today we're going to be looking at a little bit more of a, a positive approach on what love is. I'd ask you to open up your Bible with me this morning to the 13th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians if you have your Bible with you. For those of you who are in paris.online.church or digital.online.church, there's actually a Bible on your page. Click on that and really quick, within a few seconds, you could be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you can open there, we're going to, we're going to start in verse number 4. We're going to put that up here for you on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8 reads like this, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's start dissecting this a little bit and looking inside to find the details of God's perfect love. Now, I want you to remember this. This sermon this morning is not meant to teach you what God's perfect love is like. This is not an academic study. No, this sermon is meant to change your life. Please don't leave today and say, I learned great things about God's love. That's not the point. The point is for our hearts to now know how God loves us, see that example, and to start moving towards loving other people the way that God loves us. There is a purpose for this sermon series. It's not just to learn, it's to do. Remember, love is a verb. For those of you taking notes, there's going to be seven points this morning that we're going to look at. Characteristics of God's love. Here's the first point in your notes this morning. It's this. God's love rejoices with the truth. God's love rejoices with the truth. So, 
The word rejoice, let's look at that for a moment. The word rejoice simply means to experience joy or pleasure. Here's a good measurement. A good measurement of whether or not you are walking in God's love should be determined or can be determined by what around you brings you joy. What is it that brings you joy? What is it that brings God joy? Are these similar things? I wonder if there are things that bring you joy that would not bring God joy. If that's the case, maybe we're not looking through God's lens at whatever it is that we're looking at. See, the next point in this leads us to the question, what is truth? So if, if God's love rejoices with the truth, what is truth? So the original word in the Greek, it refers to, to truth, is saying whatever is true under any circumstances. That's what it's referring to. It, it's a fact, no matter what the setting is, it, no matter the circumstances, the location, the culture, no matter the year, no matter the who is speaking it, it doesn't matter because it is truth. That's what God's love rejoices in that truth. So what is it that we're, that we're watching on TV? And what joy does that bring us? Do we find joy in things that wouldn't bring God joy? Are we, bringing, are we finding joy in things that are false? Well, God finds joy in things that are true. See, if we are to love the way that God loves, let's find joy in the things that bring God joy. And his joy rejoices in truth. Before Jesus died, he spent time in prayer, actually praying for you and me. And this is recorded for us in, in, in John chapter 17. He's actually praying for you and me and our relationship with the truth. Watch this. John 17, verse number 13 says, Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. Verse 14. I have given them your word. Verse 14. Verse 17, rather. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed and said, I've, I have taught them. I have given them the truth. I have given them your holy truth so that they would be filled with joy. Teach them your word, which is the truth. God's word is not pretend. God's word is not made up. It's not a story. His word is truth. And God rejoices in truth. If we're to use God's example of love as our, is, is our model for love, we should also be rejoicing in truth. That means that, that we are rejoicing in God's word. We are finding joy in the things that bring God joy. It also means that we are finding sadness in the things that bring God sadness. I wonder, though, in our life, sometimes if we've got that backwards, are we finding joy in things that bring God sadness? 
I want you to see, we see this in Psalm 119, verse 162. It says, I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure, rejoicing in God's word. I can read scriptures for you all day long about rejoice and the truth going hand in hand, and the truth in God's word going hand in hand. But here's the application. To truly love others the way that God loves us means that we never compromise truth, but rather we rejoice in pure truth. I want to say that again. To truly love others the way that God loves us means that we never compromise truth, but rather we rejoice in pure truth. Here's the next quality of God's perfect love. It's point number two in your notes. For those of you taking notes, God's love always protects. God's love always protects. Now, does that mean that just because you are protected, that there is never going to be any harm, that you're not going to be hurt at all? No. Ladies and gentlemen, we work or we live in a world that we, that we are constantly in a battle against an enemy that is very, very strong. Don't think that our enemy is weak. He is not weak. But God protects. Okay? I wonder if there is sometimes that while God is protecting us, his sheep, us, walk outside his protection and into areas of the battle where we are more vulnerable if we wander off as sheep. I know you love your family, and within your power, you do what you can to protect them. But there's a reason deeper than just keeping them safe that you protect them. It's making them feel safe. See, protection makes people feel safe. Somebody has a sign in their front yard that says, this house is protected by. Don't you feel a little safer with protection? That's what God's love does. We're going to go to one of the most famous chapters in the entire Bible, and you have heard this. In Psalm 23, I'm going to read you verse number 4. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Walking through a battle. Walking through tough times in life. Now, did it say your rod and your staff, they save me? No, it says your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Knowing that there is protection, simply knowing that you are not alone, that can bring an amazing amount of comfort to somebody's life, to your life. God doesn't just, and watch this, he doesn't just put up a hedge of protection around us. He is, honestly, he is the veterinarian once he finds the sheep and brings them back into the fold. We see that in Psalm 147, verse number three, it's up on your screen. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds as a sheep, as a lamb, and you've wandered off, yeah, once you come back, there is a healer there as well. 
So what does that mean to you and me? If we are to use God's example of love as a model on how we are supposed to love, our love should always protect. Who are we to protect? Well, we're to protect the recipients of our love. As you remember, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking, who are the recipients of our love? Everybody should be the recipient of your love, right? Your spouse, your kids, your family, people you don't know, your neighbors, everyone is. But let's bring that even closer to home. Let's bring that into the family structure. Dads, you should be known as protectors. That's a trait that dads should be able to show through our love. Husbands, God's love always protects, which means love and your love should always protect. What are we protecting our wives from, husbands? Do you know that there are so many arrows being shot at her right now? They're coming from directions that you don't even know about. They're coming from her world, from, from her, her friends, from her job. Certainly we want to protect from physical danger, but we also want to be protecting from you know, mental health and pay attention to, to help, to uh, emotional protection. Maybe it's spiritual protection that we need to be providing for our wife. There is something that your wife needs that might need you to step up. Husbands, I am giving you this challenge to put a hedge of protection around your wife, not just in one area, not just in physical protection and keeping her safe from physical harm. No, but look at the other areas of her life and protect her from any harm. For those of you who aren't married, how do we incorporate this into your life? Well, let me ask, who is it who, that you're protecting? Who is it who you love? Mom, dad, brothers, sisters, maybe it's friends. How is your love protecting your parents? How is your love protecting your neighbors? It's easy to say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know how my love is protecting my neighbors. Maybe we don't know what our neighbors need in the way of protection. It's time to ask. Doesn't that sound like an odd question to ask? But think about the depth of that. Asking somebody, I love you, how can I help protect you? Might be a question to ask and not assume that they need protection in a, in a certain area. And you might get an answer that you didn't expect. I need emotional protection. I need spiritual protection. Will you be my protector? That's what God does for us. We are to see his love as a model and protect others with our love. Let's look at the next quality of God's love that we need to incorporate into our lives. God's love always trusts. Some translations of your Bible are going to say that God's love believes all things. It's, it's not that love is naive or that love is easily duped, but the, the, the Greek word here, it actually says that God's love 
It, when it says that it believes all things, it means to place faith in or to trust. It places faith in or trusts in all things. That word used 248 times in the New Testament. In most of those instances, it's around the word love. Do you know that God trusts you? Do you know that God trusts you? Should he? We know that just because you trust somebody doesn't mean that they can't let you down. We let God down often. But there's no second guessing whether God loves us or not. We trust God's love is unconditional. It is simply given to us. What does, what does that mean? It means that, that God has put no conditions on his love for us. He is not saying, you do this and I will love you. He is loving first. His love is unconditional. Let's put that into, into perspective. God loves, his love trusts so much that he gave it first. We live in a pay-first world. When I was a kid, there was a time when you could pull up to a gas station, get out, get gas, go in and pay for your gas. I think that ended somewhere in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, something like that. No, you don't do that anymore. You pay first, and then you get your reward. Amazon, you go online, you pay first, and then your reward comes in the mail later. God is different. God loves first. He trusts us with his love, even though, even though he knows that we are going to disappoint him. He knows that. But he still loves first. How would you feel if you came into a relationship with somebody and you're giving them your love, and you know that they're going to hurt you. As a matter of fact, they tell you that they're going to hurt you. You see their track record. You go to Amazon to order something, you know it's going to come late. You know it's going to show up broken. You know that it's going to go to the wrong address, but you're going to buy it anyways. What sense does that make? Well, it makes sense to God to love us first. Because, see, anything other than loving us first is conditional. God's love can't be unconditional if it waits for us to earn it. I wonder if our love trusts or if our love questions. I wonder if there's somebody in your life who you're supposed to love and you say that you love, but you really don't trust them. Maybe you question them with everything. Maybe they don't trust you. See, have you ever said this or have you ever heard this? <sighs> this is one of those things that I can only, I can only do it myself. Yeah, I can't have anyone else do this. You know, uh, it's just not going to be done as well. Trust, trust issue right there. God always, his love always trusts. Now, does that mean that we don't discern a situation? No, we do. We have to. But what happens in your life when somebody knows that you don't trust them? Even somebody who's close to you knows that. 
Let me tell you what happens. There is a barrier in the growth of your relationship. You can't grow any further until there is trust. If somebody continues to second guess you, if you continue to second guess somebody who you are in a relationship with, your relationship will not grow past a certain point. What if we second guessed God all the time? What if every time we read a verse in the Bible, which we know we're told is truth, what if every time we read a verse, we told God, you know what, I um, until I look that up for myself, I'm not going to believe it. I can't put full trust in that. I have to go and find that answer. God, you know what happens? We have created a distance between us and God because we've not trusted God. God's love always trusts. In your marriage, you're going to have a hard time coming closer to your spouse if you question everything they say. We have to build that level of trust. God's love always trusts. Here's the next quality of God's love that we're going to look at this morning. God's love always hopes. God's love always hopes. This hope, it's, it's seeing a potential in other people. It's helping them become what they're capable of becoming. God's love always hopes. We are, we are his project, and he is confident in us. He is always hoping for the best for us. He is always optimistic about us. It's different from, okay, so this isn't, I hope I win the lottery. Everyone hopes that you win the lottery. No, this is hope equivalent to confidence. Who is it in your life who has had high hopes for you? Who was it in your life who had confidence in you? Who knew you could do it? Who is it looking back that this person is the one that pulled you through high school? This person helped you get through a rough time in, in a relationship, a rough time in your life. They had hope and they had confidence in you. God does. God's love always hopes. It always sees the potential in you. God's love is there to help you become something that you are capable of becoming. Watch what we see in the, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse number 31 says this, But those who hope or have confidence in God will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will, not, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I'm going to jump to Romans, chapter 15, verse number 13. It says, May the God of hope, may the God of hope of confidence, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope, okay, confidence by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we say this, when we say things like my hope is in Jesus, don't equate that with 
my desire to win the lottery is with Jesus. No. Hope equals confidence. My confidence is in Jesus. Wives, let me ask you this. If your husbands knew that you were hopeful for them, that you were confident in them, you were optimistic about your relationship, would you find your marriage growing deeper? I promise you, you would. I don't have to tell you what happens when you share hope and confidence and, and, and show people that you are so op optimistic for them. I don't have to tell you what happens. You know what happens. People grow when others have hope in them, when people have confidence in them. Because you know what? In our world that is right now full of depression, People don't have confidence in themselves. They don't have hope in themselves. God's love always hopes. Our love should always hope. Who can we give confidence to? Who could we give hope to? Every June, we see stories on the news, in the newspaper, online, of students who graduated from college and it may have been they may be the first person in their home to ever go to college and you know what they all say every single one of them is going to say this they're going to say that it's this person who inspired me it's mr brown from math class in high school who had hope in me it's that somebody had confidence in me when i didn't have confidence in me and that somebody was pushing them, and that somebody was right there behind them, that somebody knew that they could do it. God knows that you can do it. Because God has hope and confidence in you. If you've never looked at hope that way before, I want you to take today and look at hope equating to confidence, and see how confident God is in you. And then ask yourself, in my love for others, how much hope and confidence do I show in them? That's a great quality of God's love. Here's the next quality of God's love that we're going to look at this morning. God's love always perseveres. God's love always perseveres. Some translations are going to say, God's love always endures. It means that, that God's love never gives up. God's love for you perseveres and endures all the trials that it takes to love you. Would it be fair to say that somebody in your life says you are hard to love. Husbands, don't look across the couch and wives, stop snickering right now. I wonder if God needs a whole lot of endurance and a whole lot of just times of big breaths like that to love us. How much endurance 
and perseverance does it take to love us? People who continually disappoint God. God's love always perseveres. It always keeps going. He fights for us. Jesus in, endured the torture of the cross for us. He in God, he endured watching his chosen people leave Egypt, find freedom, and within minutes start to complain that they wanted to go back to Egypt. And, and, and now, God stuck with them. But this is his people, and he loves them. He never stopped loving them. He does not stop loving us. He endures the torment of us just so he could be with us. How often do we give up way too early? How often do we stop way too suddenly? Many of you might remember from your childhood a toy. It stood about this tall. It was a, a blow-up it was a, it was a blow toy, okay? And it had a weight on the bottom and a clown with a smiley face on it, right? And you would punch it, and it would go back, and poop, it would pop right back up. And you'd punch it again, and it would go poop, and then it would come right back up. And it would stand up smiling at you again. And you'd punch it again. And you'd think about somebody, right? Somebody's in your mind when you're punching it and it pops up and it smiles again. This silly toy is a great illustration of endurance and perseverance. Every single time it gets punched, it comes right back with a smile. It's going to smile next time, just like it smiled last time. See, it's... That's like tough love at its fullest form because no matter how hard you punch this toy, it's going to come back. I wonder if us, some of us need that in our love. If we need a little bit more endurance, maybe we need a lot more endurance. I wonder if we need a little bit more perseverance. I wonder maybe if we need our love to be a little bit tougher to withstand a little bit stronger storm. Maybe our love was meant to last through hurricanes, but we give up as soon as we hear the wind chimes. It's like, that's it, I'm out. See, our love must endure. Loving other people isn't easy. It's not, especially people who have wronged you. That, that becomes difficult, but you can't endure, watch this, you can't endure something unless you go through something. Write that down. You can't endure something unless you go through something. Nobody gets credit for their exhaustion, their perseverance, and their endurance through nothing but peace. Whoo! That must have been a tough time of peace that you just lived through. Nothing going on in your life. Everything was happy. I don't know how. Whew, how'd you make it through that year of amazement and awesomeness? Good job. Uh -uh. You can't endure something unless you're going through something. 
Perseverance and endurance demand a challenge to be overcome. God's love has many challenges when it comes to you and I. We sin against God all the time. And then we say, God, I'm sorry about that. And then we turn around and we do it again. And he has to have more endurance for that. We're like the kids that won't learn until we start walking closer to Christ and we actually start learning. See how that works? Here's the final point in your notes this morning. God's love never fails. In our culture, we tend to equate failing with simply giving up or maybe not completing the race. But see, that, that's not all that this means. It means that God's love never stops. It's not as if you failed a math test. Now you can't take math anymore. If we were to say that your water heater never fails, it would lead somebody to believe that this water heater is going to work perfectly for all time. You don't have to worry about it. It is failure free. It will always heat water. See, that's how God's love works. It works perfectly all the time. It has no opportunity for failure. See, if love ever fails, it's not love anymore. If your water heater ever fails, technically, it's not a water heater anymore. It is an eight-foot-tall, 300-pound, 70-gallon tank of worthlessness. God's love is never to be considered worthless because it does not fail. It doesn't have the ability to fail. It doesn't know how to stop. How can God be so confident? Well, because he knows that his love never fails. It has no ability to discontinue. We're going to end with this. I want you to see what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 8, verses number 38 and 39. Paul writes this. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons... Neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. That's powerful. There is absolutely nothing you can do to keep God from loving you. You can't stop God's love. As a matter of fact, there's nothing that anyone can do to keep God from loving you. These, these words are God's promise to us about the depth of His love. What if? What if we had a statement of our love 
for other people. And it sounded exactly like God's statement of love for us. I think it would go something like this. This is going to be up on your screen too. To my friends, family, and neighbors, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate you from my love, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can stop my love for you. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate you from my love. What if we're telling this to our friends and our neighbors and our family? My love for you is modeled by the love Jesus has for me. And as he will never stop loving me, I will never stop loving you. What if we told that to our spouse, our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, our neighbors? What, what if that was something that we brought to everyone who we love? Doesn't this sound like something that we would say while we stand in front of God and speak directly to our husband or wife at a wedding? Doesn't it sound like something that maybe we would say to family members as we stand before God and we pledge our love to our mom and our dad and our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors and our sons and our daughters? Yeah. See, if we're taking God's love and seeing it as a model and an example for our love, the pledge that God made to us is the pledge that we must make to others. I'm betting that there's somebody in your life who you have struggled to love. There's that relationship that has been hard to get through. We're never giving permission to stop loving somebody. We're giving, we have been given tools to love somebody. This week, I'm going to challenge you to examine your relationship with others in your life and ask yourself, am I loving them the way that God loves me? That's what Valentine's Day should all be about. Not so much a sweetheart, but maybe more focused on the love we give instead of the gifts we give. Maybe our focus should be examining and learning more about the way God loves us and modeling our love for others off of that. Again, I want to come back to something that I said before. My prayer is that this sermon today is not just a lecture, that you're not just learning something to have head knowledge. I pray that today you learn something to have heart knowledge. That it actually changes lives. I don't come up to speak for 40 minutes just to tell you something you could learn somewhere else. This must change the way you love. And I pray that it does. We'll talk about this more 
tomorrow evening in small group at 6.30 Pacific time on Zoom. Allie's going to put a link to that sign-up form in your chat room right now. Join us tomorrow as we finish out our sermon series on God's design for love, and we come together to talk about that tomorrow night. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your lessons on love that you have given us. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to, as a group, learn the depth of your love. And Lord, I thank you for loving us unconditionally. That you don't put any restrictions or any rules on your love for us. Lord, this morning I ask that you allow us to find perseverance and you allow us to find hope for others and you allow us to see that love never fails and, and that you give us that opportunity and remind us that our love shouldn't fail either. Lord, be with us as we go. Let us come to a point in our lives where we can find those who we struggle to love and start rebuilding those relationships based on your example for love. Thank you for loving us even though we are hard to love. And thank you for giving us the confidence to know that your love is unconditional and it will always be here. For this we praise you, we love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Thank you.